and welcome to another episode of Intention Is Everything. I am one of your hosts. I realized the other day when I was starting this off that I always say I am your host and Cheryl is my co-host and that just seemed not democratic enough. So I'm going with this. <laughs> I am one of your co-hosts, Karen Frazier, and with me as always is my good friend and co-host, Cheryl Knight-Wilson. Cheryl, you notice I've got the Knight-Wilson thing down finally after how many years have you guys been married now? Uh, well, quite a few now. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's okay. Hey, you know what? You remember. I'm just happy that you remember. Thank you. <laughs> well, occasionally I do. So Cheryl, I am going to let you introduce our guest today. And I think we'll get right to it because our last podcast was just you and I talking and it was yep. just a couple days ago that we recorded it. So honestly, what could be new? Not much. Not right. much. Yeah. And I'm excited to talk to our guests. So let's just get Thank going. You. We're so excited to have with us today Lynn Russell. She actually joined us back in 2015 on Paranormal Underground Radio. So if you've listened to the show over the years, you know Lynn and her work, which is extremely fascinating. Lynn has over 65 years of studying various religions and spiritual philosophies. She's re researched near-death experiences for Dr. Jeffrey Long of the NDERF. And after studying 20 500 cases, Lynn became fascinated with the profound underlying spiritual knowledge brought back. The second edition of her book, The Wonder of You, What the Near-Death Experiences Tells You About Yourself, is about that knowledge and your reality. Her interest in science has helped to add profound understandings of a link between science and spirituality, and welcome, Lynn. Well, thank you for such a lovely introduction. So excited to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I think that this is good timing for this show. I, I feel like a lot of people probably have death on their mind a little more in the last year than they ever have before. Would you would you think that's a true characterization? Yeah, yeah. Sadly, I think it's true. There is so much happening right now with the COVID and, and so on. So yes, I agree. Yeah, and, and so I have always said that back many years ago when Cheryl and I first started, Cheryl, Chad, and I first started working on Paranormal Underground Magazine, I always said, I want to experience everything. Um, and the near-death experience is the one thing that was the exception to that. So I can't speak from personal knowledge on near-death experiences. So I'm fascinating, fascinated to hear your take because you've researched it so much. We've talked to Dr. Raymond Moody a few times, and he certainly has, has provided us with some insight. But I, I, what, what do you think... I'm going to just start right at the beginning, at the end, at the beginning. What is the takeaway that can bring people comfort it, during difficult times like this from the near-death experience? I think that, that, that death is not the end. That's a big one. And that death is actually a very beautiful experience. And that there is no death. It's just, it's just a word that we've made up. But that death doesn't really exist. That uh, we just exactly continue on as we are. Just It's just like walking through a doorway. As a matter of fact, it's easier because there's nothing, you don't have to walk. It's just a flowing. You know, leaving the body is like silk. 
you know, it's just like silk across your hand. It's beautiful. And I like hearing that. And it, it's certainly what I believe death is, but you don't know until you die. Um, That's right. And so how then do we get to a place where we understand that death is like walking through a door as opposed to something else? I, I, where does that all come from? How do, we, how do we know that to be probably true? Well, okay. If that, well, I have a chapter in my book called NDE's uh, Real. And um, certainly there's a lot of confusion and, and, and information from doctors and so on that are saying things like, well, it's the breaking down of the brain or it's chemicals or whatever. But there are some things that just cannot be described, the answered, you know, questions. For example, they have knowledge of things that they just could not know. For example, um, they can go while they're at the um, spirit level, they are can know our thoughts and know what we're doing. They can see us. They can understand us. They know exactly what we're feeling. So um, they can get in touch with us and then come back into this life and say, this is where you were and this is what you were doing. Um, uh, Anita Morjani talks about her brother when she was dead. Her brother was coming via the plane to to be there, and um, she felt she knew he that's where he was and that what he was doing. So there's things like that. They also come back with information that they could not possibly know. For example, um, they might know the thoughts and the personal life of the doctors that are doing operations or the people that are working on them uh, to revive them. Um, that's, that's, that is common kind of things that happen. And so I say to myself, but that body is lying on a bed or a slab or something. And how can they know this information because they've been pronounced dead? That's part of the answer. But the other, for me, the big answer was the a length of time that people have been pronounced dead for. Um, it can, the, people wake up in the morgue, in the state of rigor mortis, and they're stiff. They can't move. So their body has gone into the rigor mortis, and they're awake. And um, so they, and that takes for 12 to 14 hours for rigor mortis to set in. So that tells us that these people have been dead for a long, long time, many hours. And that cannot be the breaking down of the brain or chemicals in the brain or any of those kind of things. There has to be a, a natural um, reason for something like that. It just doesn't make sense that it would be... Um, uh, you know, that it's any of the explanations that I've been hearing. Sure, that makes sense. So I was actually, I, and I promise I'm not like super morbid, but I don't know why. I was actually thinking about this the other day when I was in the kitchen cooking. And I was wondering, if death is imminent, when do we leave our bodies? 
and what, what do you mean? Oh, sometimes, well, most of the time people leave at the point of death, but sometimes people leave their body before they're actually dead. Uh, for example, they're hit by a car, and um, they're not dead, but they're above their body and looking down, and uh, they've left their body. So that's common. Another thing that's common is that they will leave their body during an operation and then die, you know, um, so that there are sometimes when people leave their body before, if they're if they're being murdered, and I know that's really horrible. I'm sorry, but they will leave their body. They don't experience that. They're out of their body, and they, 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 there's no feeling that's happening for the person that that is having that happened. Hmm. So that's really interesting. So why is it that with what you described? about the people experiencing NDE and NDE coming back, having knowledge of something that they really couldn't have had before this happened. But then you still have many doctors to this day saying that an NDE is just chemicals, chemical reaction in the brain. Yeah. 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 Why, Why is it that it's not more universally accepted to be a spiritual process of some sort? What do you think? Well, I think, first of all, there's a number of points on that. Number one, the squeaky wheel gets the gets the attention. Um, there are many, many doctors who either have had NDEs or believe in them and uh, and and support them. So there's there are more more and more actually that are, but there certainly are some who have got their their heels dug in and they just don't want to they you know they don't want to look at it they're just that's that can't be and so it's and it's science and science um doesn't authorize anything that can not be repeated over and over and over again and every nde is different there's no two death death experiences that are alike so we can't reproduce the exact same experience and uh and that science doesn't like that yeah um definitely and i love though that you pointed out that more and more of the of the scientific community more and more doctors are coming to accept that an nde is something more than just a chemical reaction in the brain. And I think that the more research that people like you do, the more that that is going to evolve. And I'm curious as to how you got involved with the research with Dr. Jeffrey Long. How did that come about? Well, it's a long story. Um, When I was a little girl about uh, eight or nine, my grandfather died. And um, so I realized that everybody dies and that someday I was going to die. And that really frightened me. So I went to my mom and asked her, well, what happens when you die? And she said, nothing, you just disappear. So that was very, very frightening for me. I, I spent years absolutely terrified that I was going to die and disappear. And um, so I spent most of my life studying different religions and philosophies, looking for answers. And of course, then there was Dr. Moody's book. Um, And so that helped. But it wasn't, he didn't talk about them actually being dead. Maybe he does now today, but at one time he talked about them as almost dead, dead or just about dead kind of thing. Um, And uh, so 
I wasn't sure, but then I was, when I retired, I uh, was going to write a book. And uh, so I was researching information on my book and I happened to run across NDRF. And while I was there, um, Dr. um, Sorry, uh, Dr. Long uh, was requesting someone to do research for him and I just retired. So I thought, sure, that's great. Perfect timing. Oh, wow. Okay. What a great opportunity that was. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, and it's, it, it's absolutely frightening to think about a young child being terrified that they're going to disappear. I mean, that is just, it's just heartbreaking, really. Um, yeah. So, wow. I think that's um, a cultural thing. I think that, yeah. I think that in our, at least in our culture and in other cultures, and maybe it's a human thing. Um, so my, as an adult, I can look at death and think, okay, well, where was I before I came? There was a time when I wasn't as Karen. And therefore, if there was a time that I wasn't as Karen, there will be a time that I'm not again. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, go, go ahead. Oh, so I was just thinking, so I think culturally we have such a fear of death and i know that there's like a whole i think they call it like death positivity or something that there's a whole movement to make death more transitional and natural at least our understanding of it but for me it was always uh, you know as i as i really thought about it it was there was a time that i wasn't here before and there will be a time that i'm not here again okay but that's the the personality Karen. Right. right. That's not that that's not the real you. The real you is soul, spirit. That's the real you. And the and so the soul is presently having an experience as Karen. Or as right. Lynn or as you know, Carol. Yeah. So it's a, it's just the soul the soul is what I, when I was a teenager, <clears throat> I was out of work and I was a hairdresser in those days. And so I um, was out of work and I couldn't think, find anything. And so I phoned up a funeral parlor and said that I would do the hair for the, the um, um, dead people, you know, the corpses. <clears throat> and so they, they hired me on the spot, like instantly. And uh, they were so overjoyed to have somebody. <laughs> and so I'd never seen a dead person before in my life. I thought, I don't know what I thought really, but when I saw that dead person, I instantly, <clears throat> excuse me, I saw, I, I found the soul. That instant I found the soul because that was a mannequin. That was no, there was no human being or no life or nothing to make that <clears throat> person a person, you know? And it wasn't a personality, it wasn't <clears throat> the ego. So it wasn't anything that that um, that, that person, uh, you know, did to make themselves alive. It was a soul within that made that person an animated person. So that brings me to something else that I was thinking about <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> I was, I, when I cook, I think, I think is what happens. That's kind of where I do a lot of my thinking. And so that's the other thing I was thinking about is, is my soul entirely separate from me? Did the universe put souls into 
bodies and if the universe didn't do that with humans would there still be humans just without souls interesting all right well how i see it based on what i've learned is that we are source we are source we are the universe and and we are and, and even science is getting to that point where they're recognizing that there is a strong connection of our consciousness with the universe, this universe. And, um, and we are the source. Having an experience as a, a, a human being, but we are also source. Having experience as an ant <laughs> and um, an alien in another planet and, and you know, like any life form that we can think of and maybe even the planets themselves um, have a life force that is part of consciousness and the consciousness is our reality. That's what our reality is. So you're, you're saying everything in existence, not just here yeah. on, on Earth, yeah. but everything in existence extraterrestrials, um, planets, this, everything yep. is yep. all source, right? Yes. yes. So we're all connected and we're all, are we all moving towards, what, what's the goal? What's the goal? What's the mission? Why are we like, doing this? Well, what are we doing? What's going on? Yeah. What's the ultimate purpose? <laughs> what's going to happen? You know, are we going to keep evolving to where we just one day, um, reintegrate with source forever? I, I don't know. What, what do you, what's, what's your thought on that? Okay. Well, it, how I say it in my book, and it was, I mean, it, this is my imagination, but how I see it is that without creation, whatever creation there is, source would not have experiences. There would be no experiences. Uh, they would just be rolling around heaven doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as I say, that's my imagination. But but truly, the the source needs creation to to grow, to be, to ex to know itself, and to just know another aspect. And so that's what creation is. And so we are here to give source experience in another form, which is happens to be physically human. And so how does this all tie into reincarnation or does it? Well, um, yes and no. Um, first of all, we, we, as a soul, we actually enjoy being, <laughs> we enjoy this life. I, I know while we're here, we're saying, Oh God, <laughs> how can I want, how can I want this? But, but but we really actually, at the spirit level, we can't wait to be born again. We can't wait to have a new experience. And so um, that's part of it. It makes sense. What you're saying makes sense to me because, like, if I was living in a disaster movie, right, I wouldn't like that. But people right. go to disaster movie after disaster movie yeah. and they look forward to it and they really, yeah. really like it. But while, yeah, they're in yeah, the, yeah. But, but while they're in the disaster movie, they're probably thinking, oh, I'm not sure if I want to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's, that's, that's the, that, and you know what? We, because we are stars, we are creators, and we create all that we see, all that we know, 
our whole lives. Everything is created by us through our choices, through our thoughts, through our intentions. That is what the bottom line is, that, that as you've said in your title, um, intentions and our thoughts and our attitudes and the ways we see world is, is the bottom line of what makes this world what it is. So and we, it, we're the creators. So yeah, go we ahead. create everything. Mm -hmm. And um, this is something that I actually talk a lot about because I'm always concerned that when I say something like that, we create everything through our intention. Um, yes. That people think that what I'm saying is blaming versus responsibility. Yeah. So I'm yeah. wondering how you might make that distinction for people because people hear me talk yeah. about it all the time. And so I love it when yeah. other people can make the distinction and possibly a different yeah. than I do. Yeah, not, not at all. There's no blame at all. The only, the way I see it is as we grow up, we get attitudes and outlooks and ways to see things in the world. And that, um, those, those attitudes and ways we see things affect the choices that we make that also affect the way we see the world and how we, how we think and whether we're a positive or a negative. You know, we know that there is now um, neuroplasticity, that we can retrain our mind. We can make ourselves be more positive. But our basic upbringing and our basic attitude towards the world comes and we don't really recognize it because most people think that life happens to them. They don't think that they have, they've created it. But when we, so when we have these attitudes and these outlooks and so on, that affects the choices that we make in our life. You know, whether we're going to say, oh, we never, I, never mind, I can't ever succeed. Or whether we're saying, hey, we can keep trying. You know, it's, but that has nothing to do with blame. It's just an outlook. It's just a way to see things. So let's say I'm in a really bad spot in, in my life. I just, I'm, I'm really not happy. I don't have mm -hmm. a positive outlook for the future. How mm -hmm. do I use intention to change that? What, do you, what kind of recommendations do you have? Well, yeah, it takes a while. It takes a while because um, <clears throat> it doesn't, that's not something that happens overnight. Once we've got ourselves into the situations, it takes a while to get out of it. But we can try things like, I know meditation, and people go, oh, girl. <laughs> and they groan. But it really does make a difference. Yeah. Um, so, and there's meditation tapes, and um, and there's all kinds of meditation um, places on the, t on the internet that you can go to and learn how to meditate, and there's tons of it. So, there's sort of easy kind of methods. Um, so, that's one thing. The other thing is um, to just be aware, um, what's it called, mindfulness, to watch and be aware of everything that you're doing. But another big thing, a big thing for me, is to stop putting yourself down. That is huge because we just so quickly say, oh, you know, we, I can't, or I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I would never be able to do that. But to me, the, huge, the biggest thing is to stop putting yourself down and give yourself a chance. Just try it. Try something new. Try push yourself a little bit. 
people are so frightened of failure and failure that doesn't exist. It's just, it's just a mistake because we always make mistakes when we're just starting something. So, you know, when you practice, you get good. Yeah, we, we, we did a podcast not that long ago about manifestation techniques and, you know, the, the I am statements, the, you mm-hmm. know, setting yourself up mm-hmm. for success. Yeah. And I think that, yeah. if, you know, you, like you said, if we're here as creators, what better way to create than to employ these, you know, intentional practices in our lives. Yeah. And I think and that, that other, just works well. Yeah. And another thing is, if you can understand, um, and I talk about a lot about it in my book and uh, try and describe it in detail. But if you can understand the reality of your being, that you are source, man, that's powerful. And how can you not be perfect? How can you not be magnificent? Yes. So if we are creators, and I agree with you that we are, um, what, how did we create this COVID crap? <laughs> well, actually, we didn't create COVID. COVID came into our existence because of a screw up somebody around along, along the way. And we would have gotten rid of it very, very quickly if we just followed the rules. But we keep saying, well, no, we don't want to follow the rules. We want our freedom. So, and we don't believe it. And we just, we make excuses. And and I'm as bad as everybody, by the way. I'm not, I'm in Canada. And um, so that does make it slightly better. But I'm not, I'm not perfect because I go out and do things that I know I probably shouldn't be doing this. But here I am trying it out. So I think that we just, uh, I also think we're a bit spoiled, to be quite blunt. Our world, we've been, in the Western world anyway, is quite spoiled. And and we don't want to give up our, our, our freedoms and our, our, uh, you know, we want to continue to be spoiled. So that's part of it. Yeah, I, I, I probably, I think that's, that's probably all very true, but I also think that we can, through intentional practices, um, change the trajectory of it. I just don't know that we're, we're doing that at this time. Yes, yes, and it takes action, and it takes deliberate thought to, to not put yourself into a state where you're going to be, you know, testing the whether you're going to get it or not and um and and we're not doing that we're just not doing that we we you know we that that's the biggest one is to follow the rules it's as simple as that yeah so if if death is merely a transition which i agree i believe it is i've Mm -hmm. seen enough of the research and everything else so if death is merely a transition and we chomp at the bit to come back and all of that then why is death such a tragedy among the living? Because we don't understand, because we, we, we don't remember our before life, and we don't remember, we don't know what's going to happen after, because there's like a bazillion concepts out, out there. And so we don't really know where to from here. And the unknown is always terrifying. 
you know? And so that's the basic reason why we, we reject it. We push it away. We don't want to look at it. You know, it's like people not going to the doctor when they really need to, or it's like, um, um, you know, not getting life insurance because it means that maybe someday I might have to face that I'm going to die. You know, it's, it's just our, our refusal to look at reality. Why do you think that we, we come back, but we, we don't remember? Is that because it will hinder the learning process? I think, I think it's, there's two things. And I think that we don't remember our last past lives because if we did, it would make living this life very, very difficult. And I think we don't remember um, the in-between lives and our reality because, again, we wouldn't want to stay here. We would, we would do all that we can to get out of here. And as a matter of fact, people who have had death experiences and, and remember how beautiful it was really can't wait to get back. So in your research into NDEs, have you come across the scenario where the person was told that they could choose to, to come back or to go ahead and, and move into the spirit realm? Yes. Why do they choose to, to come back? Usually because they feel an obligation to either their, their loved ones that, or they don't feel that they've finished what they came here to do, whatever, because we all, all, all have a chore that we've come here to do. They're every single one of us. And, um, and that's paramount. That is absolutely, you can't get out of that one. And um, so if we, um, less we, before we were finished, we'd have to come back and do another life to finish it. Mm-hmm. So well, we have yeah. to anyway. So yeah, <laughs> it would make life very, very difficult here to know that that's where we really belong. I mean, life would, and the same thing with the reincarnation. We could not function properly in this existence if we remembered. Yeah, that makes I, that I makes a whole lot get, of sense. Yeah, I actually get that because I have remembered a couple of my past lives and. I have a pretty strong connection to what's on the other side. And while I'm certainly not suicidal, I love life and I love the people in my life. Um, At the same time, I mean, you know, I'm okay when it's my time, it's my time. As long as it's not, you know, me flying off a cliff in a fiery, terrifying death, I, I, (laughs) you know. And, And as I said, probably you would not be in your body when that's happening. That's why, that. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's why I asked that. That's why I asked that because we were just we Jim and I just did this big road trip, and we did all oh, of yeah. this all of this stuff along these really high. And I have a fear of um, of heights of uncomfortable uh, heights, and so yeah. we you know the road trip was lovely. I really had a good time, but we traveled some pretty dicey roads. <laughs> So that's one of the reasons I was thinking about that. Right. I wonder if I would yeah. leave before. I mean, would I know that we were flying off a cliff in a fiery death? Yeah, yeah. See, and, and people who, who leap off of buildings and, and bridges and things like that, they don't, they're out of their body way before they ever reach the ground. It's just a piece of slap of meat that hits the ground. 
Yeah. Okay. That's why, that's yeah. why I was asking, but I also understand what you're saying about why people come back from near death experiences because I haven't had one, but like I say, I'm not, it's not, I'm not suicidal. I don't want to die, but I'm not averse to dying either. I'm not afraid of it. Um, but I always like, I always think about when we're traveling along the edge of those terrifying cliffs, um, I think about things like, well, what would happen to my son and what would happen yeah. to my dog? And, and so yeah. those would, yeah. probably be the things that would keep me here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so very often people come back because of a loved one that that they just don't feel right leaving yet. No, they're not finished or there's, sometimes it's something coming up. There's something in that person's life that they know about that's going to come up and they want to be here for it to give them support or help or whatever, you know? So that's mostly the kind of reasons why people come back. Sure. So I wanted to, I was thinking about something, because um, I think a lot, clearly. I um, have had people, we've had people on this show and on the previous version of this show before, um, typically psychic mediums who tell us that there are exit points, that people have set exit points in their life, and that they get to choose in the moment whether those happen or not. Do you think that that's actually a thing? Do we have preordained exit points in our life or is it kind of a roll with it kind of thing? I'm not sure about points plural, but we do know we have planned how we're going to die and when and, and so on. However, everything is not, is, is open to change, everything. Like no matter what we've decided on the other side would be for this life, we are creators and we are the source and we can decide to change it. And so even though we've made that arrangement before we got here, we can decide that isn't what I want to do. I want to change it and we can change it. So if I'm having a good time at the party, I can stay if I want. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like that. So Lynn, what do you think about the notion of soul contracts where, um, you know, in your, in your life between lives, you for, you have a soul contract. Well, well, just over, over time, over lifetimes, you have soul contracts with other, other mm -hmm. souls mm -hmm. that you, you come yeah. into existence and you somehow interact in some way with, with those other soul, souls. I, I'm not absolutely convinced that they are real, but I'm not also convinced that they're not. Because here's what I understand. When the person, when the soul decides, okay, I'm coming back, I'm going to go into a life. The very first thing they do is they choose a chore or a task of some sort that they're going to accomplish while they're here. And it's always something that's for the benefit of the world. And so they'll come here, they, they go, that, that is the bottom line, that task is really, really important. <clears throat> then they decide the people in their lives that will help them to accomplish that task. So they may, and it may be somebody that they've had before. I don't know that. I just know that they do choose the people that will help them. That doesn't mean they choose every single person they ever meet. Mm -hmm. It means that they just choose the people who are significant to that task. Another thing is they choose experiences. And again, not every experience, just the experiences that they need to have to guide them to 
accomplishing their goal. The other thing is that they will select themselves, their intelligence, their race, their looks, their every single tiny little thing about themselves, if it's significant to um, to the to accomplishing the task. So if they come here being slow, for example, mentally slow, or something like that, then yeah, um, that's part of it. By the way, I do want to talk about uh, about that, about being a little bit slow. Um, when I was a child, I was assessed as um, slow. I was uh, assessed as, well, sorry, they said the word retarded in those days, but I, I, I'm not, I don't find it as offensive, but I know a lot of people do. Anyway, so that describes what I, and I was in a special class for um, slow learners for um, about three years. It was called the opportunity class. The point of that was, the really big point is that in that experience, I didn't find out until I was 32 that I wasn't slow, that, that I wasn't mentally slow. And so the point is that during that time, everybody else was making it, my decisions for me because people who are, are slow don't make decisions properly. Right? You don't expect them to make it. And so other people were making my decisions for me. And um, when I wound up married in a bad marriage and I left the marriage, I didn't know how to make decisions. I had no idea. I was terrified, absolutely terrified. But I went ahead with it and we, we managed fine. But the point is that I found out in my, because I went back to school and became a family counselor, but I found out that freedom and responsibility are the exact same thing. There is no difference between them. And so when people were making my decisions for me, I was not learning from my, the consequences of my actions. And that is really that's very, very important because people keep, I keep hearing things saying it was meant to be. Well, it wasn't meant to be. You have a choice and you can decide and you are the, the, the power of your own life. And that's so important to me because of my own experience and, and knowing how important it is for our personal growth. Yeah, for sure. Um, I had a question, but it just went out of my head. So but that's okay. I do that all the time. <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, I walk into the kitchen and forget what I'm doing there. So, yeah. oh, Cheryl, ask a question while I think of mine again. It's gone. Uh, okay. Well, I, I wanted to go back to the NDE experience and ask in okay. your research, you know, you've done a lot of research. Yeah. What are a couple of the prominent NDE cases that stand out to you? Oh, beautiful. What a wonderful question. I do have some. Uh, there was a lady who is on NDERF, of course, and um, her name is Mira, M-I-R-A. And I suggest everybody read her story because not only is she very articulate, but she had an, a magnificent growth while she was there. Before her, her death, she was a very wealthy um, 
a successful businesswoman and, uh, you know, was, was doing extremely well. In our eyes, she would be what we would call a success. <clears throat> she had her death experience and gave it all up. Said, no. Nope. And she gave away all her stuff, all her money and wow. stuff. She lives a very simple life and she changed her name. And she changed her name from whatever name it was to Mira. And Mira is the new name that, that she uses. And she has a book out as well. And if you go to her site on um, or her experience on NDR, her book is right at the top of the page. So you'll see it and, and you can look into it. Um, so that's one. Another one is a person called H-A-F-U-R, Hafur. Now it turns out Hafur is a, location a city or something in the middle east <clears throat> so obviously this person's used a, a pseudonym but that's okay her experience and the learning because she she when she died she was a warrior she was fretting and and life was a real problem for her and and the growth that she got out of her experience was just so beautiful. So I really, really recommend those two experiences. Now, there are others, but to be honest with you, I can't remember their names, but there are some that, and, and they're in my book, by the way, <laughs> just a little book there. Um, <laughs> the, and and they, these are people who have actually entered into the light, become the light, and learned all kinds of magnificent information while they've been in the light. And so, <clears throat> and found out that they're the ones that, that taught me that we are the source. Because when they go into the light, they become the light. And they become the source. It's so hard, I think, for people to visualize not having this boundary of flesh and bones that separates you from other people whose boundaries are flesh and bones. So, so that it's, I think that that is one of the hardest things for people to experience, understand, recognize is how can you be an individual and also be part of the oneness? So how do you resolve that? Well, because um, I think that it's part of the uh, part of the creation. That's how it's created for us to have a separate experience as a person, a human being, so that we can, you know, have a full experience. And um, so, uh, and and every single like I'm talking every single one of the people that I studied universally said that when they were there, they recognized that they were one with everything that they saw, no matter what they looked at, whether it was outer space or whether it was the garden or whether it was beautiful buildings or whatever it was, they became one with it and and with other humanity as well. So, um, yeah, it is very, very hard because we're raised um, as separate beings and we're supposed to have these separate beings but and so it, it is very difficult very as a matter of fact it's so difficult to separate ourselves from this physical body that when we die we continue to see ourselves as physical bodies even we're not but that's what we continue to see 
you know, I've had little moments um, regularly. I have these little moments where for just like a split second, a split second, I get that and I recognize it and I feel it and I know it in every core of my being and then it's gone. And I can't remember what that felt like in that split second, just that it was there. Yes, yes, yes. And, and I, I think everybody does. I think every single person has a split second of, of you know, and I get questions, a lot of questions on, on our purpose. That was one of the big questions. And the other one is this feeling of separated from self and from, you know, not really being a part of the world and that kind of feeling. But I think that's just our source, our soul, our connection. It just exists to maybe keep us going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that the soul does that <clears throat> because the soul is, is experiencing this life, but it's also connected to the source. Yeah, but it's just so ephemeral. And I want, because when yeah. I have that moment, and like yeah. I say, it's just, it's a snap of a yeah. finger. It's there and yeah. it's gone. Yeah. But when I yeah, have and that you want to hold on to it, yeah, yeah, I reach back for it because, yeah. and it and it's just it's not there. I just know it was there, but it's not there. Cheryl, do you yeah. know what I'm talking about? Have you had that experience? The closest thing that I can think of was when I felt like I had some sort of out of body experience, and I'm not even sure that's what happened. But I was, I had just laid down for the night, was not asleep, mind you, but getting ready to go to sleep, closed my eyes, and all of a sudden I was transporting through space. Now I really felt like I was transporting through space. Like I, I was rushing through space, stars going by me, stars going by me, and all of a sudden I come up real quick on these planets, uh, unrecognizable, and they're around me, and then all of a sudden appearing in front of me is this being, but their back is to me. And it was just like this, this, this presence of, I can't, yeah, it was like the feeling of just an all-encompassing light, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I, I, as, as, as I was waiting for them to turn around, I snapped back, bam, back, and I'm like, what in the heck just happened? Like, I, I, to this day, I, I, I've tried to repeat that experience unsuccessfully, and so I, I don't know what it meant, but that's the closest I've come to feeling, mm -hmm. having that feeling of what you're describing. I have um, messages that I that I that appear to me without I, I I don't have any control over them and they're spontaneous. So I think that each one of us has something that is connecting us or letting us know that there's that there's a soul there if we want to connect with it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. can you tell us more about those? Are you willing to tell us more about those experiences and those? Oh, messages? sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I actually, I started at 13, I think, unless some, maybe something happened before that and I don't remember. But when I was 13, I had a very favorite uncle that I just loved and I was in a very unhappy home. So he was very significant to me um, and he died. But before he died for three days, I saw him in our apartment, laying in bed, 
I saw him there. He was I, to me. He was as real as everybody, and it wasn't until I was in my seventies that I found out he didn't exist. He didn't. He was not there. He was in a hospital in a city miles and miles and miles away. Wait. So <laughs> you had never actually physically met him? Oh no, I'd met him many times. I oh, recognized okay. him. I knew but he you was. just on the ones. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah, it. and and so I just thought, oh, he's come to stay, because <laughs> you know? um, I was a teenager. So I, but he looked sick, so I left him alone. I didn't bother him. I just thought, oh, poor Uncle Jim, he just looks so sick, so I won't bother him. Anyway, so that was, and and I have um, uh, driving. I I drove, went to. Um, visit my daughter when she was in university and there was a bunch of people out front of her place where she was staying and there was one particular man and my mind when I looked at him I heard Gwen's husband and that's the guy she wound up marrying I don't know why I got that it didn't make any difference but I got that message um, another time I have a daughter who died <clears throat> she died about well, it'll be five years this December, so almost five years ago. And um, and nobody knew when she was going to die because it was, uh, you know, this dragged out and drawn out. And I was many, many miles away because I kept going back and forth and back and forth to where she was. And, and uh, it was a few thousand miles between us. And so... Um, the day I'm making arrangements because the hospitals called me and said, I think you better come. So I'm making arrangements. And of course, nobody knows when she's going to pass. And I heard the December the 19th. And that's the day she passed. And I knew, I knew that was what it was. I knew it was that Leo was going to pass on the 19th. You know, that's interesting because I actually, when my, when my dad died, I was in the hospice with him. And mm -hmm. I actually, like the second before he died, knew that this was it. I just knew. Yeah. I just, yeah. I, so I get it. I'm sorry to hear about your daughter. So I, but I am curious if you don't mind me asking you. Um, mm -hmm. So when someone dies, how mm -hmm. do you feel about it? And how do you respond to it knowing what you know? Yeah. You know, that's a really good question because I don't respond the way other people do. And I almost feel guilty because I don't get the same, I, I don't grieve the same way other people do because I know, I know where my daughter is. I know she's okay. I know she's in a good place. So I'm okay with it, you know. I'll see her. I know I'll see her in a few years. I'm 82, so <clears throat> it's coming. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, so, so, and especially like all this death that's happening right now, <clears throat> I, I, um, I know that where those, those souls are going and, and, and so I'm okay. I don't, I, I'm not okay with them all dying because they had a goal or a chore or something. They were here for a reason and it's quite possible that they didn't finish their reason and they'll have to come back. But I am okay with the grieving, you know, because I know that they are okay. No, I do. I understand what you're saying. I miss their physical presence. So I miss mm -hmm. my dad. Mm -hmm. I miss seeing him, hearing him. But sure. I, I do understand what you're saying for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, 
it's just it, it's this conversation is just mind-blowing and it's like we're almost up with our hour so flew by um, flew by <laughs> before we get into our promotional corner what Karen calls it shameless self-promotion shameless self-promotion yeah. <laughs> we're uh, all about well, it man I w- want to ask Lynn if if you do any intentional practices every day or every now and then that you want to tell us about well just what I've talked about um I I uh, do try to meditate as often as I possibly can but I also carry it around in my being all the time you know this this idea of intention lives with me I just literally never am not consciously aware of my intentions and and I'll tell you it has changed my life because I used to be I used to go through terrible depressions and I also used to be quite negative in my and worrying I was a worrier and since I started to understand about how my conscious thoughts and my, you know, um, and, and the, and the meditation, I have had, um, my world has changed. My way of seeing things has changed. My, I love my life. I absolutely, and here I am. I know that I'm, I'm not going to die tomorrow, but that, you know, 82, you're starting to look at the end, but I'm not, I don't want to go yet. I've got so much I want to do, you know, and I just, I just love every day and every minute. So that being positive as much as possible. And even if you write down a positive thing every day, you know, uh, gratitude, gratitude is really important. Very, very important. Yeah, we just That's talked about gratitude. That was our last, last week. Because <laughs> as yeah. Yeah. Right, you're in Canada, but Thanksgiving is day after tomorrow here. So, yes. yes. So gratitude yes. is definitely big. And I think the other uh, thing that's really important that, that just to point out is that when you take away that absolute fear of death, I think that you can open up your life. Yes, I think so too. Yeah. And, All right. and the lessons I've learned are just so beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Are you ready to shamelessly self-promote? <laughs> well, uh, sure. Um, all the things that I've talked about and all the questions I haven't answered are in my book. And the book is called The Near Death, um, uh, The Wonder of You, What the Near Death Experience Tells You About Yourself. And my name is Lynn K. Russell, and I use the K because there's just so many real Lynn Russells out there. Uh, the world is flooded with them. <laughs> and, I did um, that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I can be found on, um, well, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter, and I'm on LinkedIn. But go to my um, website, which is lynnkrussell.com. Yeah. Perfect. And that can get me there. Yeah. Perfect. Well, it's it's a pleasure talking to you. I'm glad you reached out to us um, because this is, I think, a great topic right now. And I do think that that um, anytime we can look at who we are in a different way, you're changing lives. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you. It was a pleasure. It was my pleasure to be here too. Thank you. All right, Cheryl. You got anything else before I sign us off of the show? Thank you so much, Lynn, and I hope we can stay in touch and talk to you again. Okay, great. Thanks. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll be back. We don't know with whom because 
you know, it's just a, we're full of surprises, right? <laughs> Always. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.